the welfare system is not working. Our economy is now as unequal, a system that's broken. Our society is broken. As humans, we also have flaws. And -hmm. one of the flaws we have is we don't deal well with inequality. In one sentence, uh, could you please summarize the universal basic income? Universal basic income is a guaranteed payment each individual gets, no strings attached. Uh, all the time? No, there's nothing, like, that's it. Sometimes, you know, there'll be an, an age limit, uh-huh. uh, but it's basically, it's a grant that you're given, uh, and it's like a pension plan, the same kind of that we have for old age individuals they get a basic set of money and there's no questions asked what they do with the money they just get it okay and uh it from from all the research i've done uh i've seen kind of a trajectory it's kind of picked up at some point in time then it went down and now it's back on the rise like we have elon musk we have a whole bunch of tech billionaire talking about it and i think they're giving it like a significant booth in terms of popularity why do you think it's actually coming back well i mean there's there's different reasons why and there's different streams of interest in basic income the tech folks their line of argument is that pretty soon technology is going to eliminate all employment. Mm-hmm. And so how's, how's the economy going to function? How, people, how are people going to get money to buy things if there's no employment? So their idea is with all this technology, we're going to be so incredibly rich. Um, let's take some of those riches, give it to individuals. Those individuals can then buy the stuff that the robots are going to make. And the people who own the robots will make profits because the people have some money to buy the things the robots are making. So the idea is this whole thing is supposed to uh, hold together and, and sustain our society. So that's sort of, that's sort of the Silicon Valley, Elon Musk kind of approach. There's another group that are saying, you know, something has gone wrong in our economy, that wages have stopped going up, uh, income inequality is, is increasing, um, a lot of people are in, in insecure jobs, so they, they, they can't get into the housing market, they, they can't start families, you know, they don't want to get into relationships, um, you know, there's, they're just really stressed, mental health is on the rise, and so what we need is some kind of a system that gives some stability to individuals and families uh, so that they can function better uh, and find a, a more lucrative spot in the economy mm-hmm. and better wages. So there's really those two kind of approaches. So the first one is, look, there's not going to be any employment, so we got to give money, people some money. Uh-huh. The other one says, look, the unemployment system, the, the welfare system is not working. The demands sort of are, are increasing. We need a whole new system. Um, and the, the basic income is sort of one alternative. It also goes back, you know, there's a, 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 a sort of a conservative approach to basic income, which was our welfare system is not functioning very well. Uh, and in fact, if you know anything about the welfare system, it's quite demeaning, mm. bureaucratic. Uh, people get on it, they get off it, et cetera. And, and, and the argument, this would simplify the whole thing. Okay, let's, we have to take care of people. Uh, that's a social right as a citizen. And so you give them enough money so that they don't starve and they have a, a little bit of accommodation. Um, and you spare them all this sort of bureaucratic nightmare of trying to go through the Ontario Display Support Program or other kinds of welfare systems we have in place. So, But then it also comes with the, with the fact that uh, like it doesn't matter what your income is at, right? At what point is your, uh, at what point your income well, level you is? Well, you know, there's all kinds of different designs. There's all kinds of... Of universal so, basic income. Uh, so some uh-huh. people, for, for some it's... You just give everybody the same amount of money, yeah. whether you're Elon Musk yeah, or a tenure or, professor or living on the street. You get the yeah. same amount of money, and then you recoup it through the tax system. Oh, because right? they're the higher tax because bracket. Because it would be taxable income, and so those people who are making you know a million dollars a year, they're not going to have any net benefit from this. It's all going to get taxed back. And the reality is they probably pay a little bit more because someone's got to pay 
the basic income to those people who don't pay tax. Uh, and so it becomes uh, a system of income redistribution. And in some ways, I think that is one of the more interesting aspects of basic income, that it'll be, it'll try to, it's trying to reverse what has become a trend in almost all developed countries in the last uh, 25 or 30 years mm. towards a less and less equal distribution of income. The most popular argument against it was that we're, we're giving money to people who don't need it, like Elon Musk. Like we're giving, we're taking this, uh, we, we will talk, I'm sure yeah, we'll yeah. talk more about welfare, but uh, we're taking this universal basic income, we divide the pie into multiple pieces, and then we give it to Elon Musk, for example, who yeah. doesn't really need it. And then that, that in, in, in its order takes away from people uh, at the poverty line. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's... No, but if, again, it's, there's two sides to uh-huh. the basic income. One is some people are given money, or everyone's given money, but then some people, money is going to be taken back. Yeah. Uh, and so for the Elon Musks, it, it's a paper transaction. You know, they may get $20,000, yeah. but almost certainly they're going to pay 30000 more in taxes. Okay. Right? So and it's... so they're going to be net losers. I you know, guarantee all the systems that basic income show up is that people who are rich will be net losers. Uh-huh. People who will be poor will be net winners. Uh-huh. Uh, but you can't just say everyone's getting $20,000 without saying, well, how's that money going to get recouped? Because it's not falling like manna from heaven. You've got to find the taxes. And so the taxes are going to be paid by wealthier people. Yeah. So basic income would not increase my income. It would cost me. Okay. That's fine. I'm fine okay. with that. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, do you think that that might be... I'm not, I'm, I don't think there will be a big loss with a basic income when you will add it to a higher income bracket, right? Like you were fine with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that maybe a pol- politically it would be harder to push it through, let's say? Uh, well, I think people have a lot of, they have a lot of concerns about basic income. I have a lot of concerns yeah. about basic income. I mean, we really do need to know more about exactly how it's going to operate. Um, it, it's one of the unfortunate things about canceling the Ontario uh, project is that, you know, we did have a, a panel that was going to evaluate it uh, and collect more information on exactly how is this policy going to work. What are the benefits? And, you know, if, if this was a policy that improved mental health, this was a policy that allowed people who uh, were depressed and unable to get into the labor market to now get into the labor market because, you know, they can go out and buy a you know, decent pair of pants uh, mm. and have some a, a decent accommodation. And so when they present to the employer, they don't look like a train wreck. Yeah. You know, they look like someone who actually might be productive. Well, that benefits everybody, and that's what we want to do. And mm. I think right now one has to accept, you know, we spend a lot of money on people who haven't found their place in the labor market, uh, could we spend that money better? And I think that's what the pilot was meant to do. That's what the evaluation was meant to do. We'll never know. From, yeah, uh, unfortunately. From the pilot project, I know that the data is very scarce. Like, we don't get a lot. But do you, like, what was the expectations how people would spend the universal basic income? Was it like general necessity goods or because a big a big part of it right like any single time you talk about like we'll just give you cash like yeah well they will go and spend this cash on something they don't need or on uh on the opposite side was something with welfare and housing like we give them a a certain tax a certain uh a certain break for housing only and they spend only housing and this is like food coupons and food uh stamps and they spend only in food but when there's like we'll give you cash like what are they going to do with cash do we have any research behind that like what do people usually spend it on well you know look at some people spend their money foolishly Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that all money People spend their oh, money. Oh, for sure. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't even begin to make that assumption. Um, what we know anecdotally from, uh, you know, what we heard from people who are on basic income, that for a number of people, uh, they were able to get better accommodations. 
and so that made them healthier. Um, they were able to um, eat better food, uh, and so they became more presentable. Some of them went back to, to school and got better, more education, more human capital. So most people did things that most of us would say, well, that's a logical thing to do with your money. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's going to be a few people who frittered away in, in unnecessary things, but that you know we shouldn't assume that's even all likely for most people. Yeah. The the pilot itself, you know, we wanted to look at, you know, how much that money went to better housing, how much of that money went to better accommodations, how much that money went to supporting your kids and and, and allowing them to be more successful in school. Because I think one of the things we need to be always thinking about is the intergenerational effects of poverty. Uh That if you if you grew up in a household that's poor, then there's a good chance that you're going to, you're going to be behind other people who live in households that are children that live in wealthier households. You can have poor access to education. You're not going to have access to all the extra, extracurricular activities, et cetera. And, and so you're going to be behind your, your other your other cohort of, of young people. And so one of the effects of basic income, as well as being good for the people who received it, the parents, could also have been good for the children. Mm-hmm. Now, again, these were all things that we were looking at. We had a very sophisticated uh, strategy to, to try and understand what basic income would do. And of course, we'll never know. When you when you kind of come down to that, right? Universal basic income is it a is it directed towards what what problem we addressing here? Is it we addressing the poverty problem? That's kind of the yeah. idea of universal basic yeah. income, or are we addressing? Because I know some people address they take universal basic income and they address a problem that's going to come up in twenty years yeah. when like we're going to be so wealthy that we can basically live on that. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of people see this as a poverty program, and there's no doubt that uh, a lot of the money would be allocated to poor households, poor individuals, so relieve poverty. But I think there's a second really important rule for basic income that we're only now beginning to understand. Uh, what we're beginning to understand is as more and more work doesn't become secure, it becomes less secure in your short-term contracts and whatnot, there's always a fear that, I got a great job now for six months, paying me seven or $80,000, but it's a six-month job. Yeah. And I don't know where I'm going to be in six months. And right now, the floor, where you can fall to is pretty pretty far down. You can, mm-hmm. you can, there's no backup support. So what basic income might, might have done is give those sorts of people a chance to be more entrepreneurial, to take chances, to look for short-term contracts that pay them uh, well in the short run because it's something they really want to do or they think that has real potential. And if it doesn't work out, well, then they can fall back on the basic income. And so they don't, they don't fall into complete poverty. So it actually might make our labor market more dynamic, oh, okay. which I think is absolutely a good thing. Okay. Okay. And is there any other ways? Because everything that you're explaining, that's like, sounds great, like to make a more entrepreneurial society where you can take risks because you do have this pillow that can fall off. That means like you'll produce, ideally as an entrepreneur, you'll produce more jobs for in the economy. Is there any other way to stimulate economy, uh, to stimulate economy to this degree without universal basic income? Yeah, I'm sure there are, there probably are other kinds uh-huh. of policies. I'm not I'm not really aware okay. of them, to be honest with you. But I think we what we I'm actually trained as an economic historian. Okay, that's my background. Yes, uh, and I, I my my position here is we have a whole set of social and labor market institutions, many of which came out right after the Depression and World War II. So things like unemployment insurance, the Canada Pension Plan. Uh, how people are trained, uh, the, uh, the ability of workers to form unions, uh, all, how we take care of our children, childcare, et cetera. All, all the institutions got put in place in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And that's when the labor market was very different. People went into mm-hmm. 
lifetime employment. They came out of university, had they got a job for life. Uh, I, I think they use the 60s and 70s jobs. That's not our labor market today. And so I think what we need now is a whole new set of, uh, of institutions, pretty labor market institutions, mm-hmm. that will give people the confidence to operate in a labor market that clearly is, uh, short-term employment is more prevalent. There's no doubt about that. Uh, people change jobs. Technology, The pace of technology is increasing rapidly. And so mm-hmm. jobs come and jobs go, right? If you were a little uh, while ago, if you were at Blackberry, you might have thought, I, I, I'm in it for life, right? Yeah. Well, Zoom, yeah. you're not. You're out of, yeah, you're yeah, out of, yeah, you're yeah. out of, your company's gone, Kodak. right? Uh, and and so, one. exactly. So all these kind of companies now uh, are, are coming and going at a much more rapid pace. And so I think we need institutions that, that protect people to some degree from that insecurity. And basic income might have been one solution mm-hmm. to that problem. Talking back to the technology of it yeah. and uh, is uh, something that really, really read a lot about and really, really heard a lot is automation. And that's yeah. where they address the problem is with the current rate of automation. Uh, we might have to implement universal basic income yeah. because we'll just, uh, what we're going to do with all the labor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, people that are going to go, they're going to be replaced by robots. Yeah. From your perspective, is it is it like a, um, is a horror story or it's like actually like we will get to that point at some point? No, oh, I don't think it's a horror story at all. I mean, I, I don't think we want to get rid of technology. I, I mean, as I say to my students, one, one way to solve the unemployment problem in any economy is get rid of tractors and give people shovels, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we'll have people digging fields, right? Yeah, and that, yeah. we'll have lots of work. So I don't think we want to go there. So I think we want to embrace technology. Okay. At the same time, I think we have to understand it could have some negative effects on, 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 some, on some people. And, and so, again, we need to, you know, work our way through that. If the end result of automation and, and AI is we get rid of almost all employment, uh, but we produce lots and lots of stuff, well, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, lots of leisure. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, have great, we'll have a great quality of life. The question is, how do we share that, that wealth, right? And right yeah. now, I think we have a system that's broken because, because. as technology is being introduced, a small group of individuals um, are gaining almost all the uh, advantages of that technology, and more and more people are being left behind. And so our, our society is broken. And it's not a problem of the technology. It's a problem of the institutions where, that in which the technology is embedded. So unions are weaker. The middle class is shrinking. A lot of employment is becoming less secure. At the same time, if you're in the top 10%, things have never been better. Yeah. And do you think it's society is broken or just the economy is Well, I think society, it's, it's the society economy, it all goes together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think right now we are living with an old set of institutions, that uh, are not reflective of the labor market and the pace of technology and the kind of jobs we have uh, today. And what would, in your opinion, what would be the institutions that might actually Well, you know, a big problem is training, right? Talk to an employer. The first mm-hmm. thing they'll say is, I can't find anybody with the right skills. Okay. Right? Ask them how much training they do. Uh-huh. And they're going to tell you, zero. Because they, 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 they've got into the habit now of, of saying, you know, I have these people on six-month contracts. Why would I, why would I train them? Because they're going to be gone in six months. And that's absolutely logical. Why would you train someone who's going to be here in the short term? And, but what that means is all the training that used to be done in the 60s and 70s, when you took someone who was in the mailroom and you trained them up, and eventually they became the CEO. Mm. It never really happened, but you know that was sort of yeah, the myth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that doesn't happen anymore because the person in the mailroom is probably a temp worker. Uh-huh. Right? And, and so we're, we're, our system is not generating the middle skill and the upper skill and the senior management people who can really do a good job of running their organizations. So I think training is a problem. In the, after World War II, we sort of allocated the responsibility for training to companies. 
and we allocated to them on the assumption these companies would employ people for life. And so they had an incentive to take someone who's going to be there for 30 years and make them a better worker. Mm -hmm. uh, now they don't have that incentive anymore because people aren't there for 30 years or fewer people are there for 30 years. So how do we generate that training? Right now we've individualized it so people are having to pay for their own training. And for a lot of people, if you're on low income and insecure employment, it's a real problem. So some people are not getting the human capital they need to become more productive citizens. And ultimately, as a society, I think we want people to be as productive as they can. About um, universal, basic, universal basic income as well. Yep. Do we... so? We're saying because because of the society we're creating, you were proposing, hey, let's look at the institutions and let's check the institution now, so maybe re rewire the system a yeah. bit, but then let's also implement the universal basic income that might help all everyone who, like, let's say, uh, at the more at the bottom of the uh, financial hierarchy, yeah. right? For them, now they can go and they go go and um, and train themselves and get skills solutions, so they can be more competitive in the marketplace, yeah. right? Yeah. With automation and everything that's going on, will we like will we tax a few winners with automation as we move forward? Because more like this, this is going to be a few companies. If we go with the way we're going, yep. it's going to be a few corporations that's going to have most of it. Yep. And then, are we going to without institutional reform? Right? Are we going to charge those companies to pay for the universal basic income to kind of substitute for all the jobs that? Um, that will be lost in the process. I'm just yeah, I mean, if you know, if the, if these companies are producing a lot of wealth, um, let me go back. See, yeah. John Maynard Keynes wrote after the Depression that the problem with the economy at that time was um, there wasn't enough what he called effective demand. That workers didn't have the confidence to spend their money because mm. the the employment outlook was so bleak. Mm. Firms then said. I don't have the confidence to invest in creating jobs because I don't think anyone's going to buy my stuff because the workers don't have the confidence to buy things. And so the economy gets itself into a downward spiral. And so Keynes's solution was to give people money. Mm -hmm. Then they, they, they'll start spending it. And then entrepreneurs will start saying, well, my stuff's going off the shelves. My inventories are going down. I better build a new factory. And when I build a new factory, well, I'm going to have to hire some more workers. And then those workers say, well, I'm going to buy some cars now. And then the auto plants. So, so, so it's, it was called priming the pump. And the message there is the owners of the system of production have an incentive for people to buy their stuff. Mm. Right? And if we have a system now where people can't buy the stuff that the people at the top are making, the whole the whole thing will collapse. And that's basically the Silicon Valley uh, argument, that we need to give people money so they can buy the computers and the software and the Amazon products and whatnot mm -hmm. that are being produced by these firms. If Amazon and Google try and keep it all, they'll get nothing. Okay. Right. The system will collapse. Okay. And then, but then you'll, you, you, that's pretty great that you mentioned that because the, the idea of universal basic income was before that, right? As well, like it was, it's not a novel idea. We, we kind of played with that idea yeah, sure. of giving cash for quite some time. Yeah, Romans used to give out bread for free. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, so, but then the system kind of from what happened after the Great Depression, I'm not sure if did they pump the money actually in or was that a theory? More? Well, certainly that's when, you know, things like unemployment insurance were emerged, old age pensions emerged. Uh, that's when um, uh, public projects started emerging. So they built all the highways in the United States. They built the Hoover Dam, you know, massive employment mm -hmm. projects. Uh, Ultimately, uh, you know, the depression was ended as we started gearing up for war, right? So suddenly yeah. a lot of people had to start making weapons. But what happened after the war 
um, is that a, a set of institutions that was put in before, particularly unions and their ability to bargain with their employers, the unions were able to bargain a share of the growing productivity that, that emerged after World War II. Because after World War II, I mean, that's when automation start, first getting, started getting put in place, mm-hmm. you, know? Uh, you know. Firms are producing all kinds of stuff much, much cheaper, but workers could get enough wages to buy this stuff, and so everybody benefited. That started coming unstuck in the 70s and 80s, and, and, and now we have this imbalance. You know, workers are, uh, you know, the share of income going to labor is declining. Mm-hmm. It's actually declined quite rapidly in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. The share of, of, of income going to profits has increased, and I think we're now at an imbalance where, you know, a lot of firms are beginning to say, well, I don't know if I can invest in new factories. I don't know who's going to buy this stuff because we have all these low income and we don't have yeah. enough middle income people around. But then, like, uh, even with that, like, we had the same kind of, we're addressing the same problem, like, hey, the economy is going to collapse. We didn't introduce the universal basic income back in the day and in system kind of uh, leveled itself out. And now it's, again, it's like going back to the balance and back in balance. Like, why, why don't you think that this time without universal basic income, Mm -hmm. it will maybe just equals it out again? Yeah. I mean, one, one, one option is to go back to more of a a 60, 50s and 60s kind of economy, make unions stronger so they can demand a a better share of, of, of what's going on. Um, But I I think, I don't think we're going, say I'm a historian. I don't think you ever go back. You always go forward. So mm-hmm. I don't think we're going back to the 50s and 60s. And in some ways, the 50s and 60s weren't great for everybody. There are a lot of groups that got left behind. Women in general did not do well in that period. Immigrants, racialized workers. So it wasn't a great period for everyone. Uh, I think what we need to say is, you know, let's embrace rapid technical change. Mm-hmm. Let's embrace it. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to embrace it, then we have to insulate people from some of the negative effects. Right now, that is the cost of rapid technical change yeah. is being borne by uh, the bottom half of the population. I think okay. that's not a great thing. And you know, things like basic income, things like enhancing the Canada Pension Plan, mm-hmm. fully subsidizing universities and training programs, all these things would help uh, people who are being somewhat left behind to, to gather some assets so they can do better in the system. Okay, because the, the, when you said embrace the technology, it's like that's. I think that's totally what we're doing now. We like we just we like uh, on a train towards the future. Which it, and it doesn't, to me at least, it doesn't mm-hmm. look like we're looking around much. We're just going straight to mm-hmm. where the technology is going to take us. Well, we're certainly not stopping it, but I I, I wouldn't say we no? as a society really. Em- I don't think we really embrace technology. We why not? Why we, do you think so? We um. We cope with it, right? But mm-hmm. if this technology is going to eliminate your job, you're not going to be very happy about that. Well, you as a, as a worker, for sure. Yeah. But then uh, let's say talk a simple example. Like I'm less like, as a customer, mm-hmm. like I understand everything that happened to taxi business after yeah. Uber got implemented. Yeah. Like I, I really understand why, for example, in Paris, they were like yeah. uh, riots pretty much. And, uh, and I understand it. it's like, yeah, we have to address it, but then I'm going to take my phone and order Uber. Like, yeah, it's just like a but remember, hypocrisy at some... Most people thing. are two sides of a coin. One side, they're a consumer. The other side, they're a worker. Yeah. Right? So, it's, so, it's, so basically, it's like until it's your industry, it doesn't matter? Yeah. <laughs> well, I... I there's to some that, that's that's true to some extent, but also I think people, you know, if you have a family, you have to be thinking, what, you know, what's, what's going to happen to your kids? 
I think right now there's a lot of uh, uh, stress in households because just people aren't clear where where millennials are going to go. Uh, and we know that the, the labor market for young people is is fraught with some problems, right? There is a lot of insecurity, a lot of low-paid jobs. People now, when they're 25, are not making in real terms as much as people who are 25, 30 years ago. Mm. Okay. So it's a complex thing, and it's not just the individuals. I think we have to think of ourselves as a society. What kind of society do we want? Do we want a society where a whole lot of people are left behind and are homeless and are destitute and are uh, have mental illness problems? Mm. If, when you put it like this, then. But then it's, again, then I think it's a come back to the conservative point of view, right, where it's, uh, it's, it's up to the individual uh, to kind of get out of it. But from ever, like, if you do a, a bit of research, you understand all the social and uh, other pressures that's coming to it. Well, you know, there's a bit of a flavor of conservatism now that is, is highly individualistic, but there is also a flavor of conservatism that understands the role of the state in mm. supporting society. I um, just want to talk a bit uh, more back to universal basic income yeah. and the, the money question. I feel yeah, like yeah. that's when that's what people really, really question about. So when we, you do like back on a kind of on the back of envelope uh, math and stuff like that, and I Googled around. So, for example, even like for Canada, they estimated that it's going to cost $43 billion dollars to give away, I have right here, so like 16,000 16, per person in mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. So how, what do you think, how are we gonna address, if we're gonna implement, how are we gonna address the funds? Mm-hmm. Where's the money gonna come from? It, the money's gonna come because we're a rich society. We're not a poor society, we're a okay, rich society. So, so. We just have not figured out how to share uh, the, the, the benefits of that society. If you look at a graph of labor productivity, And hourly wages of workers. Uh, when I was a young economist some decades ago at U of T, uh, and the data we had was from the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. Mm-hmm. And those two lines tracked each other. Every time labor productivity went up about 3%, wages went up about 3%. Right? And so by between the end of World War II and the mid-1970s, those two lines increased by almost exactly the same percentage point, about 100%. So each person was making 100% more per hour and was getting paid 100% more per hour. Mm-hmm. Since the mid-1970s, labor productivity has kept going up almost the same rate as it was before the mid-70s. So it's now at about 250% higher than in 1950. Wages stopped growing in mm-hmm. the mid-1970s. Mm-hmm. And so the average worker now is making about 100% more than they did in, in 1950, but they're producing about 250% more. Mm-hmm. And the issue is all of that productivity gain has gone to a very small group in society. You mean like the top corporations, the profits? Absolutely. And so it's not that we can't afford these kind of programs. Uh, We can. And again, this is not a net cost. This is an an income redistribution program. So someone's going to pay. So the top uh, 10% is going to pay. Yeah, absolutely. But But... They'll also benefit. I mean, that's what we have to understand. Because? They'll benefit because these people at the bottom can spend their money, and they're going to spend their money on things that these people at the mm-hmm. top make, and they make profits off of. They're going to benefit from having a healthier society, uh, a more stable society, fewer social problems. It's going to be a better society to live in. Uh, and so there, there are benefits for everyone from this. But yeah, someone is going to have to pay so that those people at the bottom can get a bigger share of the pie. And my, my only point is, our pie is, is plenty big. 
plenty big to do this. To pay for that. To afford this, yes, absolutely. I'm just saying, uh, do, why would they, why would the top 10% agree to something like this if they're not really thinking about the system of overwhelming yeah. where you're saying that you're right if they're thinking you know as completely as individuals and that's problematic and that is a, that's a problem on the right they 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 think it's you know they're successful because of their own individual actions and they don't appreciate that no they are successful because they were embedded in a society that allowed them to survive uh, i think what we need is a, a change in in social morality that says it's not right to have as unequal society as we have. It's not right for some people to make five, 10, 15 million and other people not have enough money to eat. Mm -hmm. right? So I think there's, there's, a, there's an ethical uh, shift that, that's needed. Uh, I think at the same time, people need to start understanding their own, uh, their own self-interest. And even those people at the top who are going to be net losers from basic income, mm -hmm. uh, there will still be gains for them from a better society, a more stable society, a more robust economy. Uh, and so those are all good things for them. Uh, but I think, you know, we, we need to learn to share a bit. Mm -hmm. But then I, I read it somewhere, like a, some kind of a book. It's like, a, I don't remember the exact name. Uh, it was kind of a power rule or something like that. And the, the, But basically what they state is that when you get to... Uh, uncountable objects like something like money for example what we're going to end up is going to uh the they the mathematical model which i couldn't understand but the fact was that when it's something like money it will 10 percent or a few will end up owning the most so they had an example of academic professors i think that's in, in academia uh their example was that most professors like a few professors own most of publications their name like a proportionally more uh, uh, publications yeah. online so the question is like is if it's true if we assume that this is true would would it that we will always have to correct the system and when it's like we, we corrected it then people found a way to again when the money gonna accumulate at the top 10 to, uh, top 10 percent and then we kind of correct it again and that will keep going in society or well i think you know i think there'll, there'll always be uh some people who are more successful than others so i don't think that's yeah. going to change and in some cases it's because some people have really brilliant ideas or they just come along at the right time but i think in a lot of cases those people who rise to the top they rise to the top because they're embedded in a you know in a, in a deeper set of social um networks uh it gives them some certain amount of privilege mm -hmm. um and 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 therefore they they get access to opportunities that the average person doesn't mm -hmm. right so it's not it's not a fair system by any stretch of the imagination Again, I don't think we're talking here about not having millionaires. Mm -hmm. But maybe what we're saying is that those people who make a million, mm -hmm. maybe they should be satisfied with 900000 mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's such a big price to pay for a better, more stable society with, with, with fewer social problems, less mental health issues. Um, you know, look at the United States. I mean, it's a society that is rich, 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 uh, but I wouldn't want to live there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 because it's it's that way in part because of the 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 serious inequality in that system that's getting worse and worse. You know, people are getting left behind, uh, and and you know, with the end result is we get people like Trump elected into uh, power. And do you like uh, just you just said uh, inequality getting worse and worse? It's like that's in what in what sense exactly? Do you well, know? if you go back to you go back to the 1920s before yeah. a lot of these changes happened, the top one percent. They took about 16 to 18% of GDP. Uh -huh. right? 
So that was their slice. Yeah. Almost a fifth of the entire economy went to the top 1%. All these changes came in after World War II, unemployment insurance, public education, pension plans. Their share fell to about 8% by the 70s. Mm-hmm. So they went from about 16 to 7. So their share was cut in half. Now, they did doing okay because the economy was getting much, much more productive. So their 8% still represented a real gain in, in standard of living. But what's happened since the mid-1970s is we've gone back up. And so now the top 1% again have about 16% of, uh, of everything we produce. And so our, our, our economy is now as unequal mm-hmm. as it was when the robber barons and the Rockefellers and the Morgans were oh. running the show. Oh, wow. There were no unions. There was no public education. And that... And that because of the policy that were implemented in seventies, or why did that happen? Uh, well, I, no, I think it's because uh, there, there was a there was a pushback. So I think the globalization had an impact. I think the nature of technology is such that um, uh, you know there, 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 it, it does ch- tend to generate more winners because you know with a steel mill, yeah, you need a couple billion dollars to set up a steel mill. So you're not right. going to set up a steel mill every once in a while, right? And once you got it, you're going to keep running it. Where you know with a software company, uh, what do you need? You know, hundred people and a couple of uh, 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 computers. You know, maybe for a million dollars, you can set yourself up as 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 a, a competitor to Google. And so, it, so it's it's much easier to enter sectors now, but that also means it's much easier to get kicked out of sectors, right? So that's where the, all the insecurity the faster, is coming. Faster, faster economy, exactly. yeah. faster economy, yeah. Yeah. and then we're coming back. So I think, like to kind of summarize everything here, what would you say the the final? What what's our final goal? Is it is it we we talked about fixing the uh, the social, fixing the economy. Uh, we talked about giving this pillar of universal basic income. We talked a bit about giving employment to people and allow, allowing them um, to get more training and, uh, and kind of progress in the uh, hierarchy of, uh, of, of employment by themselves, right? So what, what, what would you say the final, like what's the goal we're pursuing? Like full employment, we're pursuing like this is a pillow. So like if you don't want to work, if, if you feel like $30,000, $20,000 per year is enough for you to sustain mm-hmm. um, a lifestyle that you have, you're more than welcome to do that. What, what's kind of weird uh, chasing here? I mean, I think the ultimate goal here is to allow people to be as productive as they possibly can. And how you define that Depends on who the individual is. Mm-hmm. But people have to be able to have choices uh, and be able to say, I can do this, and that's good for society. For so some people, that may not be paid employment. They may be doing something else. For some people, that may be protesting that against oil pipelines because they, they're concerned about the environment. For some people, it may become you know becoming medical doctors. But people have to have the, the, the fairness and opportunities to get those, those options. Right now, I think we're wasting a lot of talent because the system is broken. So you have to find a way of harvesting that human talent because I'm, I'm very optimistic about human beings. I mean, we do marvelous things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, in a system that's unfair, that has, has the potential to have catastrophic negative implications because as humans, we also have flaws. And mm-hmm. one of the flaws we have is we don't do, deal well with inequality. 